All right. What's up, guys? This is going to, yeah, this is going to be a good one, okay? So I'm going to make a quick introduction, and I'm going to head into the other room. But one of my all-time absolute favorite people is going to be bringing the word this morning. He's a man who needs no introduction, although I'm going to give him one. Uh, Pastor Ken, um, he's one of our elders at the church. Uh, many of you know him. He's Pastor Josh's father. This is a guy who's got an unbelievable pedigree of ministry, uh, real servant ministry. Um, and he's a, he's a man that speaks into my life on the weekly. Matter of fact, Wednesday night I had some stuff and uh, was real grateful just for a quick, you know, 30-minute phone call with him. And I've asked him, you know, one of the things that I love about him and one of the things that he's poured into not just my life but the life of many of our staff is how to lead and how to lead your family well. And I think for a lot of us, um, you know, depending on what background you had or where you came from, that might not have been modeled out the best way. And it's so important for us as men to recognize that, you know, the role that we play within our family is so important. Just like what Pastor Josh was talking about last night, like from generation to generation and thinking about that, not just, not just within ourselves and thinking about how am I going to, you know, do this, but passing that on. And I love that picture that Pastor Josh shared last night as far as the, the, the outpouring that Pastor Ken has had in his life. And now he gets to partner alongside him and pour into Gus I'm just thinking about that like with my dad and me, and, and man, it, that's something we should all want. So anyway, I could talk for a while on that, but I'm not going to. Pastor Ken, thank you so much. Let's give it up for Pastor Ken. Thank you, Josh. I love you. Good morning, guys. How did we sleep last night? Anybody sleep good? Okay. Anybody not sleep good? Anybody disturbed by snoring? Yeah. <laughs> Well, good morning. Uh, let's pray, all right? Let's get into this. Lord, we love you today. We come in the name of Jesus before you. We thank you that that name has been given unto us. There's no other name under heaven like that name. That name speaks deliverance and grace and freedom, but also accountability and, and growing up and standing up for you and being uh, one that is your child, but then being one that rises up and fulfills our purpose on the earth because it's great. And, Lord, we thank you for helping me communicate these principles you put in my heart today. And I give you praise for all you're going to do by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. I encourage you to take notes. I see a lot of note takers. You know, our church is a note-taking church, if you hadn't, hadn't noticed that. Uh, we have our, our journals. I see a lot of journals this morning. If you got your phone, take notes. Because uh, you need to come back to these principles. These are a little, like foundational things for your family. My title is How to Lead Your Family. How to Lead Your Family, because men are supposed to lead. And marriage and family is like when you study the Bible, it's the foundation of everything. Because God created the world, and then what's the first thing he did? He didn't create a, an institution of people or like the church or just a nation. He could have done that. He could have created a lot of people, you know. But he created a man and a woman that got married because God wanted us to understand that marriage and family is a foundation for all life on the earth. That's the way God designed this to work. Uh, and from the beginning, God wanted us to understand how wonderful this is supposed to be. Genesis 1.26. I'm going to, uh, if you want to turn there and write this down, I won't read it. But it talks about how God created mankind in general and then men and women. Uh, and, and then he declared the purpose for this, 
to these two people he were going to create was to have dominion and to be fruitful or create other little people like you, uh, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. These are all winning terms, right, and wonderful terms. But the fall came, and when the fall thing came, things got skewed. And so here's what marriage can be like. One day, a couple of years ago, I'm sitting on the couch, right, and I'm watching football, football season. I like to watch football from time to time. You like that? So I'm watching football, and Trudy, it was after Christmas, and she had gotten a big new picture thing for Christmas. So she's got a wall she's wanting to hang this on, but she's, it's, it's big enough. We've got to have a pretty good stud to put in the, or, or to hang it on, or we're going to have to get, you know, the, the deal that you put in the wall to support it. So she got a stud finder, right? So she got this stud finder, and I hear her. It's come, Amazon's delivered it, and she's over at the wall, and it's going beep, and it would beep when you found a stud. And so I hear her, it's going beep, and beep, she's playing with it, you know, and figuring out where the stud is. And so I'm just sitting, I'm, I'm about half paying attention. And then the next thing I know, she's standing right up next to me. And she's got the stud finder pointed at me. And she's looking at it, and she says, okay, no stud here. And then she just walks away. And that's marriage, right? You got, you got I don't know, maybe you don't have a rebellious wife, but I, it seems like I do. But, but what happened is everything got skewed at the fall, and the fall affected not just those two people, but the way God set this up, it affected everybody born, right? Everybody born is affected by the fall. that happened thousands of years ago. Why did God do it? Why is it, why is it that tricky? You know, one man, and then that came on me and you, and then we all made our own mistake just like Adam did. Don't get too mad at him because you did something. Because we all fail. Everybody say all. Everybody say I fell. We all fell. And we fell short of the glory and the wonder of God, right? But why did God do it? This one guy. Because he knew in the future one man was going to come back and redeem it back. Redeem it all back. Amen? But so, but the effects of the fall had an, had an effect on all of us. There's a man named Charles Dutton. And nobody would have ever believed he would amount to anything in life. In 1967, he pleaded, pleaded guilty after a knife fight for manslaughter. He was 16 years old. He was sentenced to five years in a Maryland penitentiary. Paroled after 18 months, he was arrested again for armed robbery for three more years. He was given eight more years after getting into a fight with a prison guard. So this guy's becoming more and more bad news, right? During his prison term, he was stabbed by a fellow prisoner and nearly died. In the 60s, he became involved with a radical fringe group, uh, the Black Panthers, while he was in jail. But, and during his term, he served six days in solitary confinement for refusing to clean toilets. I mean, this guy just continues to fall and mess up, right? During his incarceration, prisoners were allowed to read one book, though. And he unintentionally chose a book about black playwrights. And this book seemed to speak to him. He started a drama group in prison. He got his GED upon his prison release and went to acting school. And then he worked in theater in New York and later Hollywood movies like Crocodile Dundee, Two, A Time to Kill, Alien 3, and many famous TV series. Somebody asked him how he was able to overcome the despair of his early life. And I quote, I never decorated myself. Write this down. Never decorate your cell. See, if you decorate your cell, that means you have succumbed 
to your environment. You plan to be here for a while, maybe forever. You have settled for the rut. God never intended for his children to live in ruts and be dreamless and be without purpose. Uh, when a prisoner decorates his cell, it means that they've decided they're going to make a current rut permanent. They plan on staying there a while. And listen, you don't have to be in prison to decorate your rut. Because of the curse, we all experience prison cells, lost relationships, abuse we suffered, the way you were raised, injury you suffered, the personal challenge you just can't seem to get over, addiction uh, to porn and all other sorts of addictions that, that seem to plague our generation like no other. Cells come in all shapes and sizes, and decorating your cell means you have decided to live there and you've lost all hope of getting out. But listen, we have the cross. <laughs> the cross is the place. Jesus came. And when Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, when the devil was defeated eternally. You know the devil is defeated today. Did you know that? Here's what the devil lost. The devil didn't lose his power. He still has power. Because we see that in our culture. If you don't believe the devil's alive and well, you, just, you haven't been looking around. He's all over the place. But here's what the devil lost. He lost his authority. He lost his authority to do what he wants to do in your life. But here's what you have to do. You have to make a choice to get out of these things. And I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what seems to plague you. You can get out of your cell. You don't have to decorate your cell anymore. If Charles Dutton can change just by sheer will, how much more can a redeemed man of God change to become the man God's created him to be? You ought to clap your hands right there. If a, listen, if an unregenerate man can just make up his mind by his will to change his life, we have more than that. We have Christ. We have Christ not only around us, we have him in us. If you're saved today, he is in you. And I'm telling you, you don't have to keep decorating yourself. You can change today. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. I feel preaching on me this morning. 2 Timothy 2, 26, New King James. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. We don't have to do that will anymore. We can change. And that change, listen, it's a lifelong process. It's not just everything happens one day and, you know, everything changes. No, it's, it's you determine. First of all, you do make a determination, I'm going to change. And then you begin to live it out. And this goes on. You know, I am going to be 72 years old this weekend. And I still... And God deals with me about change. I still learn things. I've been in ministry for over 40 years. And I learned things in this church about better ways to do it than we did it. And, and, and you have to be with. A lot of people, when you get older, you get stuck. I'm going to talk to old people for just a minute, okay? It's real easy to get stuck and begin to say, well, that's not the way it, we did it in our day. And because we think we did it in our day really, really well, that's the way to do it. But here's the deal. Methods just keep on changing because people keep on changing. Now, God never changes. He says, I am the Lord. I change not. But we have to continue to change because God's going to do things differently. And, and we can get stuck in a rut and not, do, not be a part of what God's doing. Listen, when I see what's going on in this church, I want to be a part of it.
Because I see, I don't maybe, it may be a little different than the way we did it, but I see the life of God here. And I see fruit being born. And, you know, it's amazing because sometimes I learn from these young guys. And as an older man, you have to be willing to open your heart and go with the changes that God's doing for the current wave. You know, God moves in waves. I've seen particular waves of God in my, in my life. I'm a child of the 60s. Josh talked about it being a child of the 80s. I'm from the 60s. I'm from a long time ago. And, uh, you know, there were waves of God that, that affected me. There was a charismatic wave. Anybody ever heard of that? Back in the 60s, there was a, Mike McGregor knows about that. There was the, uh, there, there was the uh, move of the Holy Spirit where people began to be filled with the Spirit. And, uh, and then there, there, there was, a, 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 there was a, a Jesus movement, that's what I'm trying to say, where a lot of young people back in those days, like myself with, with long hair and hippie sort of people, began to find Jesus, and, uh, and God moved because of what was going on in our culture at that time. There was a lot of turmoil in America. I can remember sitting in my, in, in my 1963 Ford Galaxy one night in 1967, listening as they talked about the, the, the riots going on in Detroit, racial riots, because of Martin Luther King being killed, and how they were burning down Detroit. And there was a lot of turmoil going on back in those days. But God moved. God moved. There was a word of faith movement where people like me that had gotten saved and filled with the Spirit, we didn't know how to live for God. We didn't know. We saw God could do wonderful things, but we didn't know how to make it happen again. <laughs> and so th there was a move of God where the Word was emphasized and how to live by faith because the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. And how important faith was and how you could take the Word of God and claim scriptures in your life and God would heal you and God would bless you and God would lead you. See, that, that was a move of God. But we're in a brand new move of God. And it's different because the culture's different. And there's a darkness that's invading the earth right now, right? But listen, God's going to raise up a banner in these times. The light never can be overcome by darkness, but light overcomes darkness. And I believe God's raising up our church, other churches, but we're not the only one because God's moving, and I don't want to miss the new wave, do you? But back to, back to our point. Uh, let's go back to the beginning and see how family works. We're talking about family. We're talking about how to lead your family. And the foundation of the family is men leading. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It's okay if you, I know you're a little sleepy, but you can say amen, all right? Let's all say it together. One, two, three. Oh, this is weak. Okay, one, two, three. Amen. One more time. One, two, three. Amen. All right. Oh, thank you for that amen. Um, Genesis 2, 7 says this, from the very beginning. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Here's the way God decided to walk this out. He's declared we're going to have a family. We're going to have a man and a woman. They're going to be fruitful and multiply. And he could have just created that family all at once at the same time. Right? He's God. He could have created a whole bunch of people or like a man and a woman and a boy and a girl, and that's the first family. But that's not the way he chose to do it. He created one man, just one man from the dust of the earth. Man came from the dirt of the earth, and he became, breathed life into that dirt, and he became a living soul. Adam was created for, first for order's sake because God is declaring the man is supposed to be the one that leads. Write that down. That doesn't mean he's the big boss on the throne. That doesn't mean he's the dictator of the family. 
That doesn't mean the wife can't say things or have her own opinion. Uh, in my, I don't know how you grew up. In my house, when I grew up on this farm out in West Texas, that's kind of the way it was <laughs> in the culture of my dad and mom. It's like the man's the boss and the woman's the gets the iced tea, you know. And that's kind of the way it was. And, uh, but that was never the way God intended it to be. Marriage is partnership. And you are, in the sight of God, you are both equal. And yet, for order's sake, there has to be a leader. That's just the way life works. You've got to have a leader. You know, in our church, there's a lot of men here that, and, and a lot of men on staff that get a lot of expression, and that's good. And, and men developing, and women too. But here's, the, here's what it all boils down to. You've got to have a head. Anything without a head is, is mutant. It doesn't work. It's going to run wild, right? So there is a head, and that's the way God works. That's the way God works. He works through that kind of authority. So what does that look like? Go to Genesis 2.15. Here's Adam. He's been created. He's alone on the earth. It says in Genesis 2.15 through verse 17, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the, fruit, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Why did God create Adam first? God wanted to, God wanted to work with him and train him as a son. So the, the girl he's going to create a little bit later on, we don't know how long this, this training process was, but it was a while, so that God could bring his daughter. See, Adam's the son of God, but then his daughter's going to be the daughter of God, right? And he wants her brought into a secure environment where a man knows what he's doing and is leading so she can fill her place alongside the man. And that's the way marriage is designed by God to work. So God trained his son and prepared him for marriage. Now, these verses give us four things God taught his son about leading his family. So four points I'm going to give you this morning out of Genesis chapter 2 that are very important to understand. As a man leading Four points. Number one, write this down. Adam had an assignment, a vision, a purpose. And we as men are created to live by purpose, not by reaction, by, but by purpose. Go back to this. God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. He was to dress and keep the garden. He was made to work with a purpose. That was just, he was, you know, God created us to work. Work's a good thing. But we're supposed to work with a purpose. Here's the way that purpose worked. He was created to serve, first of all, because working is serving. And he was, he was created to be humble and seek God for what he's supposed to do. And so uh, one of man's greatest needs is respect. And the way we are created to find our respect is by what we put our hand to. That's a big part of your life. We were designed to grow healthy self-respect. And I'm not talking about pride, but healthy. There's, you know, there's bad self-respect that becomes pride that, that you, you herald, you are who you are because of what you do. There's some people like that. They, because I do this, that makes me a better man, right? Well, that can turn into pride, and pride is destructive. That's what happened to the devil. You know, the devil was in heaven with God. And he was one of the high archangels in heaven. And he had an exalted position. 
And his work was, was probably incredible. We don't know everything about him, but we know that he had something to do with the music in heaven. The Bible said he was full of beauty. Uh, he was full of wisdom, so he was, must have been very beautiful to look upon. And I believe he was a worship leader in heaven. But something happened, and pride got in. And the gifts that God had given him, he began to look at them and, and say, hey, man, I am something on a stick. And because of that, he got into pride and he fell. So I'm not talking about pride, but I am talking about there's a healthy self-respect God wants men to have. And a lot of that comes from what you do, from your work. And let me, let me tell you this about your work. Your work is more than your job. Y'all write that down. Your work is more than your job because you can be fired from your job. But you can't be fired from your work. Your work is God puts something in you to fulfill, and you know it. You know it as a man. When I was growing up, I knew there was something I was supposed to do. I didn't know what that was going to look like at all. I had some giftings I, I learned early on when I was a kid that I liked music. And, and I would write little songs when I was a kid. And so I wondered, well, maybe that's rock music you know, kind of blossomed in my generation when the, when the Beatles and the Beach Boys came on the scene. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll be a guy like that. You know, I, I didn't know Jesus back in those days. Uh, but, but I knew, and you do too, you know innately you're here for a purpose. You're not just here to exist. You're not just here to have a job because God wants you to fulfill your purpose. God put gifts in you, and you'll never be happy until you're doing what you were put on the earth to do. And let me tell you this this morning. God wants to lead you into that, continue to lead you into that purpose. I'm still in the purpose, but the purpose changes. It's what I've learned. You know, when I was young, uh, I got involved. It's a long story, but some of you know this. I got involved with a guy named Willie George, and we created a TV show called The Gospel Bill Show for Kids, a gospel show for kids. We were cowboys, and I wrote songs for that. There's my song, my music coming out. I thought it was going to be rock and roll before I got saved. And then it turned into kids' music, which I don't know if I wanted to do that when I was younger. But when I did it, it was awesome. But, so, but that was a chapter, right? And then another chapter happened, and I led worship. I was David Terry at Church on the Move back in the 80s and, and 90s. And, and, uh, and we, the church grew. We had a church of 8,000 people. But then something started happening to me. And, eh, this is great, but it's not working for me like it used to. I got a little older. And now I'm, I'm getting close to 50, and I'm thinking, I don't want to jump on around on the stage like I used to. I, you know, I just, and God was dealing with my heart. And, and, and I had to make a change in order to go into the next thing. And then Trudy and I, for 20 years, taught. And we were on the road. And we taught on marriage and taught on family and the importance of it, how to raise kids. And that was a wonderful chapter. But then it's changing now again. And I still travel a little bit. You know, I, I, I still like to. I just came back from Boston a couple of weeks ago. And I love other churches. But, but now God wants me here a lot. And that's kind of cool because I'm not... I'm not I don't get on airplanes as well as I used to, you know? So God's got, what I'm saying to you is you have chapters you have to honor. How do you know what they are? Go to the Lord. Because inside you, you'll sense dissatisfaction with something. And sometimes you, you got to pray these things out. That's why you got to learn how to pray. Because if you don't know how to pray, you can miss another chapter or step God has for you. I'm talking to somebody this morning. You need to go pray. Just get with the Lord and get before him for some time, and he will talk to you because you're his child. And he said this, my sheep know my voice, and I call them by name. 
He knows your name, Alan. He knows exactly what you're supposed to do in this time in your life, and he wants to direct and lead us. And that's what's going on with Adam. God gave him a person, number, a purpose. Number two, Adam had a place to live. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, we all long for our own place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And that's, that's on the earth. That's a natural house, you know. And, and I, think it's, I think it's good if we desire a, a natural house of our own. Uh, I've lived in apartments, and it's, it's okay for a while. But I, I believe the will of God is for you and your family to have a home. Believe God for a home, right? Invest in a home when you can. But more than that, it's a place where uh, the man takes his place to lead and protect his marriage and children spiritually. Adam had a place, but it was a spiritual place, first of all. The term Garden of Eden, this is so revealing as to God's ways. The term Garden of Eden, garden means not just a pretty place with flowers, but it means a hedge. Garden means hedge. And then Eden means eternal life. So here's what God's done. He's put Adam in this, I can't imagine this before the fall, how incredibly beautiful it must have been, right? The Garden of Eden just I, you know, we just got back from Boston, I said, and, and, and if you've ever seen the foli- foliage in the, in the northeast in the, in, the, in the fall, it's just so beautiful. Reds, and, you know, I'm sorry, but it makes this kind of look weak, you know, what we have in Oklahoma. Thank God for what we have. I'm not putting this down, but, but yet, can you imagine how beautiful and, and the fruit on the trees, how wonderful it was? It's Eden. It's eternal life. But there's a hedge around it. There's a hedge. And here's what God's doing. He said he put him in the Garden of Eden. God's expecting and training Adam to keep the hedge up. Because here's the truth. There's a hedge that you can put up, but God won't put it up for you. He expects you to put a hedge up. And that hedge is a spiritual hedge where you understand we are in. Pastor Josh talked about we're soldiers last night. We're in a spiritual war. I want to sober you up this morning. The devil hates you, and he wants to take you out. And the way he takes out many, many people, and I see it all the time, I've seen it for years, is he gets in your house. He gets between you and your wife. He gets between you and even your kids. And you don't take the responsibility as a man to be a husband, to be a father. See, God's telling Adam that he had an enemy who's going to try to invade. And the devil is tricky. He wants to fool you. He wants to con you. You know, the term serpent in the Hebrew language, here's what it means. Write this down. Serpent means the whisperer that shines. The whisperer. You know, that's the way he works. He doesn't, he doesn't come, come up to you in a loud voice. In a, no, he whispers to you, hey. And he, how did he do with Adam and Eve? He was cunning. He came up, hey, how y'all doing? Yeah, I'm the serpent. You know, have you ever thought about this or that person did that? And, then, and that's the way he accuses, right? He'll accuse your wife to you. He, he, wants, to, he wants to get inside your, uh, your marriage and inside your house. Here's what should have happened. Here comes the serpent, and, and he comes to the woman. Why? Because she's a weaker vessel. I, not, not spiritually necessarily weaker, but she is the more sensitive one. And, and the devil understood that. So he comes to her. He didn't come man up with Adam. He didn't come do that. 
he came to her and he says, hey, has God said? And he begins to tempt and, and he tricked her, didn't he? And here's what should have happened. Adam was not on the back 40 checked out when, or, or doing something else. Adam stood right there and watched that happen. And Adam should have manned up. He should have said, hey, who are you? What, hey, you're, this is my garden. Did you see the hedge? Yeah, you, you came through the hedge. That, you shouldn't have done this. And here's a, you get out of here. Who are you? You're not supposed to be talking to my wife like that. You're coming against the word of God that my father taught me? No, no, we're not doing that. He should have manned up. That's the way you man up, with the word of God, with what you've been taught. But you've got to stand up against it. Remember, God gave him authority. As a husband and as a father, you got to keep your spiritual hedge up at your house. That means, men, we got to be spiritual. Listen, write this down. This deal is spiritual. you got to get spiritual. If you don't, you're going to get conned. It's a spiritual thing we're working with here. And that's what Adam, you know, and men, it seems like, just have a little bit harder time with that than women. Women have this natural acumen where they, they just seem to be able to get, my wife is that way. It's just like spirituality and, and, and hearing from God is just a natural thing for her. Did you know in old Jewish culture that when it came to tabernacle worship and being taught the Word of God, men were required, Jewish men were required to come to the, uh, to the synagogue, not the tabernacle, the synagogue. They were required to come to the synagogue and hear the Word three times a week. Requirement for men. Women had no requirement. You know why? They just came. It's just like if we do a women's meeting at church, we're going to have twice as many women as men. Why is that? Because women are just like that. They want to get together and they get into spiritual things so much easier, it seems, than men. But it shouldn't be that way. We're supposed to be men of the Spirit, right? Hallelujah. So how, how do you lead spiritually? Uh, let me give you a couple of points here, sub points. Number one, your wife needs you to love her. The way you set up a, a boundary against the enemy with your, with, uh, with your wife is you've got to love her. Ephesians 5, 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. Love your wife as you love your own body, right? How many love your own body? You do. <laughs> your body has an effect on you. You know, last night we were in, the, we were in this bunk and uh, trying to sleep, and, and the bed I had, I had a little single bed, and it had a, a, it, it had a little slant to it. So all night long, I feel like I'm battling uphill, you know, and my body is battling. <laughs> so this morning I got up, and my body didn't want to get up right away because my body talks. Your body talks too, right? So you, but you're supposed to love, and, I, you know, I like my body. I had breakfast this morning, and my body wanted coffee. I gave it coffee. But, but here's the deal. You can't let your body rule over you by the flesh, but you are to love your wife as you love yourself. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Listen, here's what happens in marriage. You become one with that person. You became one with your wife. There's nothing like that. You don't become one. You may have a buddy out here, but you're not one with them. The only thing like marriage where two people are separate and you make vows, and you become one, spirit, soul, and body. Every part of you becomes one. That's the way God designed it to work. He, in your wedding vows, when you made those vows, he joined you supernaturally. God joins you. 
Then when you have sex with your wife, every time you do that, you're declaring that this one's special. We are joining ourselves physically. You're joined in body. But here's what you have to work on. You have to work on joining yourself in mind because you don't think the same. You and your wife do not think the same. It's something you have to work at. And she needs you to love her. You have to draw from her. You have to listen to her. You have to connect with her. With her, You have to tell her she's the prettiest thing you've ever seen in your life because she needs that. She needs that. You know, the word love is the word ahav in Hebrew, and here's what it means. Love means I will give. Write that down. Love means I will give. The Bible said greatest scripture in the history of the scriptures. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Wow. Don't, aren't you glad? It could have been, it would have been awesome if it was just said, for God loved the world. That'd be enough. But he didn't just, it wasn't that. He so loved the world. That's what God thinks about you this morning. He so loves you. So loves you. You can't imagine how much you're on his mind. You can't imagine how much he cares for you. You can't imagine how pleased he is when you show steps of faith toward him because he's your father and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's not love unless there's some giving involved. Love is uncomfortable sometimes. Do you think it was comfortable for Jesus to come and die on the cross? No, it wasn't. It was tough. It was rough. He sweated drops of blood trying to find another way to do that right before he went. But there was no other way. He had to die on the cross and bear our sins. The greatest act of love. God died for you. I know we say that. I know we hear it. But think about it. God. God died for you. Jesus did that for you. He loved you so much. We're supposed to love our wife. She's your wife. She's the woman. The man with the womb. That's what that means. She's got that. Why does she have that womb? Because she has that womb so you can bring seed to that womb when you come together as one. And when you, when you give her your seed, she incubates it, and that womb makes things better that you bring her. That's the way it's designed to work. She is the enhancer of your life. She elevates, intensifies the quality and value of everything you bring her in on. You need to make her your best friend you need to make her your confidant, your partner. You got to work on this sometimes. But that's the way God designed this to work. Because when you bring her in close, it causes her as a woman, because of what God put in her, to blossom. And she'll become this help. The Bible calls it the help meet to you. Help meet. And she, she, you become this team that is indestructible when you're walking with Jesus in the middle of it. Because you have something to fulfill, she has something to fulfill with you, and you together are an unconquerable team. She will make everything better in your life when you bring her in. And then your kids. Your kids need you to be a father desperately. They need a father. You know, maybe you didn't have a good father. I'm sure many of us in here didn't. I didn't have a perfect father. I had a good father in some ways. He taught me how to work. He taught me the importance of, of, of your word. He taught me not to borrow money, but he didn't, he didn't know how to love. He didn't know how to, he, he didn't know how to, he never talked to me much. Never told me stories about his family. You know, I know very little about my dad's side of the family because my dad just didn't talk. And our, your kids, listen, your kids need a father, and no matter what kind of father you, you had, you can be one. 
You can be one. Write that down. I can be a good father because you know the father. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with two things, discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. They need both sides of that. From time to time, they need to be disciplined. That's a part of it. They need strong discipline. But they also need instruction. You just don't spank them or ground them and not tell them why. I'd get in trouble sometimes when I was little. I didn't know why. I didn't understand because kids don't understand. They're kids, and they need you to go through life with them and train them up the best you can. In fact, Proverbs 22.6. Am I helping anybody here? Are you all with me? Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a promise. Train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. doesn't mean they won't. They won't uh, try to get out of the boundary lines from time to time because they're people. And they make their own decisions. And somebody says, well, I know somebody that trained their child or I trained a child and, and they're grown and they're away from God now. But you know what? The training you put in them, no matter how small it was, continues to work on them the rest of their life, I believe. And you can't give up. Yeah, I, I, you continue to hang on to this promise of God uh, until they come back because they got to come back because that's what this says here. Uh, train them up. And, and that term, the way they should go, means the journey or the direction or the path for their life. That doesn't mean that as a father I make them what I want them to be. I, in fact, I pray and ask God, Lord, what have you called this child that you've given me to be? How can I raise them the best I can and connect with them uh, and help develop them in where you want them to go. You know, when I, was, when I was growing up, I have a brother, younger brother, and I grew up on a farm, and I learned how to drive a tractor, and my dad, he was a workaholic. I mean, he's a worker, dude. He taught me to work. But I didn't really just love farming, okay? I mean, it's okay. But I just, I, just I, that, I, I had this music thing that I was more into, and but my little brother did. He just loved farming. I mean, he just took to it, as you would say. He was really good at plowing. He's really good at just farming. And so because of that, he and my dad, they connected a lot easier. He was a baby of the family too, so he was cuter than I was. You know how that works. And so I got this thing that my dad likes my little brother, but doesn't like me. And my dad didn't know how to how to bridge that gap and connect with me. And that's sad but because that's not the way it's supposed to go. He didn't see at all what, what, what was going to happen with me. And you need to ask the Lord and ask him to show you the gifts that are in your children and pray over your kids. Maybe he won't show you everything, but he'll help you see maybe the bent that they have or, or something that they, that, that, that some of the way God wants them to go. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, before Josh was born, he's born 1979, and uh, Trudy had a rough pregnancy to get him. There was there was a lot of uh, attacks of the enemy, physical things going on that looked like she may lose him at, at one period. And she really stood and stood in faith and and really believed God's word and the Holy Spirit helped her. And we navigated that. And so we're getting about a week from him being born, and and she's got this assurance. That, that the Lord gave her, you know, God can give you an assurance when you can't see. 
And this is back in 1979, so they didn't have ultrasound. You don't know what the baby's going to be. But one night we were praying in the house. I'll never forget it. Just me and her and Brooke, my daughter, was four. And we're just saying we do this from time to time. And the Holy Spirit came on her, and she's big pregnant. I mean, we're a week away. With my daughter, she didn't get that big. But with Josh, she got huge. She was massive. I, she's sitting in this chair. <laughs> she's sitting in this chair, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit came on her, and she laughed. She just laughed out. And she said, lo, children are the heritage of the Lord. And then she said, and this baby will be a boy, and he will walk in his father's footsteps all the days of his life. And she went, no ultrasound. So she prophesies a boy, right? Well, she's got a 50-50 chance, right? <laughs> and it worked. He was a boy. And you know what? That's kind of happening. Yeah. Amen. So he, he was in, he's in the ministry. Well, that's what I did. And, you know, it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't, he, he, your son or daughter may not be what you think they're supposed to be. Uh, but, but we need to pray and ask God to help us with that. Does that make sense? So here's number four. Here's the last one. We'll, we'll be done. Uh, no, no, no. This is only the third one. Sorry. Okay, Adam had disciplines in his life. This is a big one. This is this one. Big one. Big one. Everybody say this is a big one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil had to do with choice and will. And that's what the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil was, right? Here's, here's God. He said, tells Adam, Adam, and this is, this is just God's benevolence. He put him in this wonderful place. He said, Adam, look around. See all these trees? Man, there, see, there's a, there's a cherry tree. Adam, you never eat cherries like this in your life because this is Eden. I mean, these are good. There's grapefruit. There's oranges, whatever. And, and God said, Adam, I want you to freely eat. Everybody say freely. Enjoy. God wanted him to enjoy this garden. It was beautiful, and then the food was good, and God's given him a blessing. But then he said, but we got this one tree. Everybody say one tree. Only one tree. It's just one. And all this forest and all these plants and all this. There's one tree. He said, Adam, this one tree is the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. And I want you to know how serious this is. The day you eat of that tree, you will Surely die. He didn't take that serious enough. God told him very clearly, not just you may die. Not just you may get hurt. Uh -uh. You will surely die. And that was a tree. That, what's, the, what's the point of that? The point of that is God saying, I want to bless you and give you wonderful things in life. But the heart of that is you've got to honor me. You've got to honor me, and you've got to do it my way. See, you've been given a will, and God will never override your will. Some people say, the Lord made me do that. No, he didn't. The devil doesn't make you do anything either. You have a will. And, and it, this had to do with putting God first in all that you do and your obedience. This has to do with your worship of God, number one. Not just your singing, but you making a decision in your heart. I'm going to serve God. That's the way it's going to be. No matter what anybody does, no matter what's popular at work, I'm going to stand up for God. Uh, even no matter if my wife gets off, no, I'm going to stand up for God because I'm a man of God. When, my kid, when I'm having some turmoil with my kids, no, I'm going to serve God. That's what that is. That's you determining with your will you're going to serve God. When men do that, though, it affects everything around you. 
It affects your wife and your kids. That had to do with your giving and, and tithing and honoring God with your money. That's very important. Uh, honoring God in every area of life. God created men with a free will. He won't make you do anything. But here's this deal that works on this. It's called lust of the flesh. Because you got flesh. And when you got saved, your spirit on the inside, your core of your being, invisibly, the invisible part of you, your spirit that was dead, graveyard, dead, D-E-A-D, dead. <laughs> you got a brand new one. And now you are spiritual. You get saved, you're, I mean, it's a miracle. I, we can't see it. I, I think that's why maybe we, it gets underplayed. But on the inside of you, it's a miracle. You are born unto God. So awesome. He's there. He's in you. you. You are spiritually born. But here's the other two parts of you. You didn't get saved. Your mind didn't get saved. You can still think, think the same thoughts. And your flesh certainly didn't get saved. You little chubby before you got saved, you'll be a little chubby afterwards. And your flesh wants to do things. That's your flesh. That's not your spirit. But your flesh wants to do things. Your flesh wants to watch bad stuff, eat too much, always. That's your flesh. Come on, it's okay. I'm rep I had to repent after Boston because I ate too much food. And I have to work on it, right? But that, that wasn't my spirit. That was my flesh. So your flesh will try to take you down. Your lust wants to take you down. Not just sexual lust, although that's a big one. But lust for money can take you down. Putting money first, your career. Uh, lust for Hunting and fishing. Hunting and fishing are fine if it doesn't become a lust. If it's, if it's control, lust for golf, lust for the Sooners, lust for the Cowboys. Cover both areas there. <laughs> lust for doing what you want to do is what that is. Do what I want to do. You see it all the time. Lust of pride, doing things your way. You have to learn to say yes to the good and no to the bad. God put that in your hand. Because the bad wants to disqualify you from your assignment and take you out. I have been in the ministry 40 years. I've seen this work on. I see there's preachers. I've seen this happen to that were much better than me. I mean, they preach rings around me. They were wonderful communicators, great leaders, but something got them. The lust, the enemy came in and deceived them. And the enemy didn't take them down. They made a, a choice. They had, listen, my brothers, you have a will, and it's strong. And you know this if you think, but you only do what you want to do. But just like Charles Dutton, can, if he can do that in the flesh, we can do this with the help of the Spirit of God, can't we? Because this stuff wants to take you down. And remember that assignment I talked about? It wants to get you off that assignment that you don't, you may make heaven, but isn't it going to be sad if you get to heaven and you stand before Jesus? Because we're going to stand before Jesus one of these days about this deal. This is serious business. I mean, first of all, you're going to get to heaven if you're saved. And you're going to, can you imagine you're in heaven and you're going to go, I'm in heaven. Yes, because that's eternal. I mean, you're going to, you talk about it's better than passing any test, whatever thing. It's going to be awesome. But then you're going to go to a place called the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to, going to give an account to every, Jesus said every idle word even you said. And there will be a judgment of your works. 
And if your works don't measure up, they'll be burned up. And it will affect your eternal reward. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to look, but that's the Bible. You want to fulfill your purpose, my friends, right? But the enemy wants to come against you. Let me read you something here that I think speaks to what lust can do. The Eskimos use a grisly but effective means for killing wolves that ravage their traps and dog teams in Alaska. First, the Eskimo coats a very sharp knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and yet another until the blade is completely sealed in blood. So just layer after frozen blood, right? Next, the hunter places the knife in the ground with the blade up. When the wolf picks up the scent of the blood with his sensitive nose, he searches out the bait and begins licking the stick of frozen blood. The more he licks the blood, the greater his desire for more. That's lust. Lust just uh, drives, increases. He licks until he is eventually licking the blade itself. Gets past the blood, and now he's licking the blade. So great is the wolf's desire for blood that he doesn't notice that the razor-sharp blade has cut his own tongue nor does he realize that the blood he is licking is his own because of lust. His ravenous thirst for blood causes him to bleed to death. He is usually found dead at the scene, the victim of his own appetite. He don't fulfill his purpose because lust got him. The devil's not big enough to take you down, but the enemy wants to do it through temptations in your flesh. But you can stand against it. Amen? The number four, this is the last one. This one really, though, is the most important one. Uh, this one makes the other three work. This is the most important point of leading your family, and it's this. Adam had an active relationship with his father. It's not just man up. Pastor Josh talked about this last night. One time, uh, oh, 10 years or so ago, I, I put some churches together that supported us and we had a men's meeting out in uh, new mexico uh and uh at a gun range really cool gun range and so these guys it's amazing how we had guys come from alabama and texas they brought there's one church brought a u-haul full of guns so cool christian men have all this weaponry yeah uh but uh anyway all these guys came in with guns and that's a men's meeting right uh, but, but oh, here's what I, get, I was getting to. Uh, we named it Be the Man. Named it Be the Man. That sounded like a pretty good title. But I've thought over the, over the years, and in fact, Josh and I have talked about it, that's really not a very good title. Because just you being the man, you, you can't be the man. You're not supposed to be the man. You're supposed to be the man in him. That's the way we're the man. It's depending on him first. Yes. Being strong in him, but weak in ourselves. Submitting to him. That's how you are the man. Here's, here's God. He's training Adam to rule the world in that training process. Adam was being trained by a loving father how to love. His first job was to learn to be a son and worship his father. That's your first job too. That's my first job. Most people are missing the fact that God really loves them. There's a crisis in the world of not knowing the love of God. Here's what I want you to write down. You really are a son of God. You are. I know we say that, but you are. You're a son of God. You're in the family. You know, in, the, in my family, you're, if you're in my family, you're special. You get special treatment. 
If you're in my family, your grandkid, you get to come over to my house and we got a place for you. We created bunk beds for my grandchildren. Not for us. I don't care about bunk beds. Why did I get those? Bought bunk beds, made a room for them because I want them to come over. We made a little, uh, this is last year, we made a, we have an upstairs area that was kind of, kind of a TV room, workout room, and we changed it to put a big king-size bed in there. It's got a TV on a swivel stand, and it's like a little suite, and now it's kind of cool because now i got a teenage grandson. Gus is 14, and he doesn't want bunk beds anymore. He's, you know, the girls still go for the bunk beds, but now he's got a suite. Why do I do that? Part of that, part of the reason we did that, we want him to come over and hang out. And we want our, our family and our kids to come over. They could spend the night and have a nice place, right? Not a bed that leans like that. Uh, <laughs> treat us special because you're in the family. You're in the family. You are in the family of God. And you got to zero in on that. This has got to be the foundation of your life. Some people live their life never receiving the love of the Father. Some of us because you didn't have one. But listen, you can have one. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here's one thing I, I, I see that's happening in this church that I love that touches my heart is I see this happening. There's a, kind of a connection going on with younger people and older people. Uh, we've got some older men coming to the church now that are solid, and, 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 and I'm encouraging them because this is something I want to do, to reach out to young people. And, and check out people's marriages and see, just minister to them and encourage them. Sometimes old people, I think, kind of hang back and think, well, nobody wants to hear from me. Well, they don't want to hear from you if you're grippy. But, but if you're being positive and you're building them up, and, you know, that's one of my jobs here. I, I, I hang out with the staff a lot, and I listen to them, and I encourage them. And here's what, I, I want them to be better than me. But if I can help them with my experience, I'll give you anything I got. But, but, but they blow my mind sometimes at the way they do things. They do it better than we did. I mean, David, Terry, David, you're awesome. What a worship leader we have here. I led worship. I understand some of those things you're doing, but you're doing it better than me. But that's the way it ought to be. Ken, I was in ministry. I was in you guys. I was in youth, children's ministry and youth ministry. But you got a way of connecting with these kids we didn't have. We taught them the truth, but we didn't understand the relationship value of, of connecting with them. And you go back in our kids' ministry, and you come to youth. You come to our student ministry on Wednesday night and see what these guys are doing to connect with these kids and teach them the things of God. And it's awesome. It's amazing, right? But we have a, a, a father, and God has compassion on you. A lot of times men have a hard time receiving love. But understand, you have a father now. And if you, the, you know, when you struggle with that, go to the Bible and look at Jesus. Because if you don't know what a father looks like, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And we as men need to go be checking out, look at what Jesus did. Because that's what we should be doing. See, when Adam lost everything he lost in the garden, the major thing he lost was his dad. He lost his father. This one that he was so close to from the very beginning. And a lot of us didn't have father, uh, a father for an example. Trudy told me, she said, whatever you do this weekend, tell those guys. The Lord wants them to know that the father loves them. He loves you. Close your eyes for just a minute. I want you to lift up one hand and say, I receive 
right now, I receive my Father's love. You're my Father. You're my Dad. Thank you for loving me. I believe it, and I receive it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We have a full Father. We have a perfect Father. I kind of think maybe sometimes women have an easier time with this one too than men. I think one of the reasons that my wife is so adept at spiritual things, it doesn't seem to have a lot of trouble believing God sometimes when challenges come, is because of her dad. Trudy is like this. She sees God like a little girl, sees her daddy. She really does because she did have a good dad. He's in heaven now, but he was so such a cool guy. He was my father. He was my replacement father, okay? And, and I, I want to say this. I'm not ragging on my dad because he got saved later in life, and he's in heaven now. He just didn't know, right? You can't blame your dad. If you are, you need to quit it. I, I'm telling this. I'm saying this to somebody. You need, let him go. Forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive him. Forgive those things. Forgive him. Uh, forgive your mother for, you know, maybe separating from him. I know I'm talking to somebody this morning. You've got to forgive if you're going to move on. If you're going to receive the real father, you've got to let, let that old one go, right? But, but Trudy's dad was my, he, he became a dad to me. He was such a great guy. He's so patient, sit around and listen to me. He, he believed in me and acted like he, acted like he believed in me, loved me when I was a, just a goober in life, you know, when we first got married. And I'm sure he looked at me sometimes. I was playing in a rock band in the early days. I, I, I'm surprised he didn't come over to the apartment and strangle me a couple of times. But he was so patient and loving. And, and she, you know, she's got a story where uh, she was a teenager one time, and in our little town there was a stop sign laying on the ground uh, that she picked up and brought home because back in those days it was cool to have a traffic sign in your house, like a yield sign. Or, so she gets the stop sign. So her dad sees that stop sign. This is what dads do. He comes in and says, where'd you get this stop sign, honey? She said, I just picked it up off the road. He said, did you know that's a federal offense to, to have a stop sign in your room? And, of course, she's 14 years old. And she kind of freaks out. No. She, you know, she's thinking, am I going to jail? And so he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go talk to the sheriff in our little town. We had a sheriff. So they get the stop sign, and he takes Trudy with, with him and goes to the stop, that goes to the sheriff and says, listen, she didn't know. I hope you'll forgive her, but I know it's a federal offense, and she took a stop sign. And the sheriff kind of looked at her and said, well, honey, you want a stop sign? We We'll just give you one. And he did. He gave her a stop sign. So she got permission from the sheriff to have it. But I, but I just thought about the way he led her through that. You know, he was teaching her. He was teaching her right from wrong, uh, teaching her consequences for, for sin and for messing up. And that's just the way he was. Uh, he walked her through the process of loving correction. See, God loves you, but then he wants to correct you as a father. So he can get you where you, he wants you to go. And there's correction involved in a, in a real father. Real father just doesn't pat you on the butt and say, oh, everything's wonderful. No, he'll correct you. He'll bring you back in line lovingly, but he will bring you in line.
Is this helping anybody? I'll tell this story and then we'll be done. I was uh, back in 1986. I'm working with Willie George, and uh, I'm just going to be real honest about this whole story, okay? And uh, Gospel Bill show was just getting rolling pretty good. And I saw, I kind of saw that I was pretty good at what I did. And so I'm thinking, because there's some things going on that are kind of frustrating me in this job I've got, I'm thinking about going off on my own and doing my own thing and maybe starting my own children's ministry, and I don't know what that's going to look like. But some of that was I was frustrated because life happens, right? So we were in a meeting in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we were doing a children's workers meeting. And we would advertise these meetings to teach uh, workers in churches. They'd come from churches all around the country because we had some notoriety that we did that well. Uh, and we probably had 500 children's workers from around that Knoxville area in this different churches in this conference. And we'd break out into workshops. So I was teaching a workshop on kids' praise and worship. And uh, it was in a church. And I'm, I'm finishing up, and the pastor of the church walks in. I see him at the back. And so I released my class, and I was done. And he walks up to me, and this pastor was a real gentle man, sweet man. Uh, his name's Eddie King, still a pastor today. But he walks up to me, and he said, uh, Kim, can I talk to you for a second? I said, sure. I like this guy, you know. So we go in his office. I sit down. don't know what he's going to say, but he said, I said, you know, I've been praying for you. And uh, sorry I didn't turn my airport mode on. Spam. Uh, he said, I've been praying for you. And he said, uh, uh, the Lord told me something that I want to present to you and see if I'm right. He said, the Lord told me you're thinking about leaving. I said that. I went, well, okay. Yeah, I am. And he said, well, okay. He said, you know, I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I believe the Lord told me that you're not supposed to leave. And, and when he said that, I kind of went... And so I began to tell him why I wanted to leave. I said, well, yeah, but you don't understand. This is really frustrating me and da-da-da and this, and this deal happened over here. And, and he, I, you know, I'm saying a couple of things. Then he stops me. He said, well, well, wait just a minute. He said, you know, I, I don't need to hear that. He said, but um, here's the deal. I, I believe that God wants you to stay because there's things coming down the road that you can't see. And if you get, if you don't stay, God will bless you to a certain extent, but not like he would if you stay the course in what you're doing right now. And I was like, yeah, but da, da, da. And then he stopped me again. He says, wait a minute. He said, he said, look at me. Never forget this. He said, what I'm about to say to you is not me saying this to you, okay? He said, still gets me. He said, this is Jesus talking to you. He said, Jesus would say to you, would you do this for me? Would you do this for me? And when he said that, I melted. Because I, I, I thought, if, G, if I know Jesus wants me to do this, Lord, I, I'm, I repent. I'll do what you want me to do. Because I knew, I saw the love of Jesus. I saw correction in that. You know, it, it was my choice, though. But Jesus, would I do it for him? And I thought, if, it's, if I know it's for Jesus, I'll go through hell and back if I know it's for him because that's the one that redeemed me. That's the one. He's the one.
that brought me out of my sin. He's the one that delivered me from alcohol. Jesus is the one that healed my wife's crossed eyes back in 1970. When we were in 1971, when we were in big trouble, Jesus rescued us. Jesus has come through for us. If Jesus wants me to do it, I'll do it, anything for him, right? And I think the Lord would say, as your father today, will you do this for me? Close your eyes. Some of you are facing some challenges right now. Some of you are wrestling. You're wrestling with some things. And the Lord has some steps for you to take. Maybe it's not to stay. I don't know. There was a time then later it was time to go. But maybe it is. But, but there's, God wants to, he's got a path for you to walk. And he wants you to be willing to lay it down and trust him. He's your father. He's your dad. He'll never do you dirt on the other side of your challenge is a victory and life and goodness if you're willing to do it his way. So for all of us this morning, I don't know what you're thinking, dealing with, but would you join me? Follow my confession as we close this morning. Say, Heavenly Father, I will do it for you. Help me to be the man with you in me to be the leader of my family, to love my wife, to train my children, to be a spiritual man, to follow your leading because you're in me and I'm in you. And I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord. We just praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 I'm just waiting here. I want to obey the Lord. Mike McGregor. I believe the Lord would say something to you. He has plan and purpose for you. And he's pleased with your decisions that you've made to put him, number one. And there's a new life, a new joy coming your way that will give you a new spring in your step. And you're going to touch some young men and even women in these days with your influence, not your preaching, but your influence, because the joy of the Lord is on you, and it will increase more and more, because the anointing to be you will get stronger and stronger, and I am pleased with you, my son. Thank you for obeying me. That's what the Lord would say. Is that right, Mike? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And Josh Romano, <laughs> the hand of God is upon you. And I'm pleased with you because you are a man of change. You're willing to make those adjustments when they come. And because of that, I'm going to lead you and direct you. 
and I'm going to increase your influence. And I'm going to bless you and give you thoughts and wisdom. And the men's, meeting, the men's ministry of this church is going to be heralded as a place where men can come and learn to be men of God. And I'm going to show you how to lead that, says the Lord. Amen. I'm done. Man, praise God. Can we give it up for Pastor Ken? Good stuff. Man, that was good. That was good. Man, God's good, isn't he? Such a good word. Man, such a good word. Um, I, uh, I just want to encourage you all. Um, you know, what's great about these meetings is you can hear a word like that, and I'm telling you, is you go through and you listen to it. You probably didn't write down everything you needed to write down. Um, and with what Pastor Tondra is teaching in there, uh, I want to encourage you. We're going to have these podcasts up Monday and Tuesday going into next week. So what you missed out in here or, or what was going on over here will be available to you next week and vice versa. And I just want to encourage you to, to go back through and, and really you know, take some real intentional steps to move forward in, in what you heard this morning. So good. Thank you so much. Can we give it up for him one more time? Yeah. Praise God. Um, well, we have got, let's see, we've got about an hour before lunch. Lunch is going to be 1145. Uh, so you can sign up. The sign-up sheets are out there for cornhole, uh, archery tag, and for the shooting, and then uh, skeet shooting. And then uh, we'll grab lunch, and then the cornhole will start. Cornhole and archery tag will start at 1. But in the meantime, hang out, and uh, it sounds like they wrapped up in there as well. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be awesome.